You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me today as we explore ways to increase our mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. Let's start with the breath. The breath is our most powerful tool for getting centered, grounded, and calm. If you're able to, breathe in through your nose for a count of one, two, three, four. Now slowly release the breath through the mouth for a count of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One more time. In, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Repeat this breath work anytime during the day when you feel stress rising or when you notice you've lost your focus. If you'd like to follow a guided meditation, please visit our YouTube channel at Work to Live. I recently interviewed neuroanatomist Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor to discuss her new book, Whole Brain Living, which explains not only how the brain works, but how we can use this information to achieve more well-being and to gain power over our thoughts, feelings, relationships, and lives. She had so much interesting information to share, we had to break up the interview into two parts. In her new book, Dr. Jill explains that instead of two brains, the left and right hemisphere most of us are familiar with, there are really four. Each half has a thinking module and an emotional module. She refers to these four modules as four characters and explains that by understanding these characters, we can better manage our emotions, make better decisions, and learn to gain control over the quality of our lives. Character one is the left brain thinking module. This character is the ego-driven, organizing, problem-solver of the brain. This character always wants to be right, enjoys being the boss, and sees each day as something to be conquered. Our character one is our power in the world and the face we show. Competitiveness resides in character one, as do the concepts of good and bad and right and wrong. 
Character 1 has the ability to be purposeful and intentional, as well as thorough. Rational thinking, valuing material goods, and self-promotion also reside in Character 1. We need Character 1 in order to get things done, but it's not very warm and fuzzy, nor does it like to have much fun. Character 2 is the left brain emotional module. This character is always on the lookout for problems and rings the alarm bell anytime it thinks there is a danger. Anytime it thinks there is danger, even though it misinterprets many events as dangerous just because something is unfamiliar. It holds all of our past incidents and uses those experiences to warn us away from anything painful or uncomfortable. Our fear resides in this character as well. So again, not much fun. Plus, our meanness, blaming, and anger resides here. But we need this character to protect us when there really is danger. This module keeps us safe. Character 3 is the right brain emotional module. This character lives purely in the present moment. It holds no past or future. So no rehashing, no worrying about what may happen, just right here, right now. It can still warn us of danger, but we're typically not in danger in the current moment, so it spends most of its time looking for ways to fully experience life in the now. Character 3 would rather go to the beach than finish a budget report, and is where our curiosity and wonder reside. It never disconnects from the consciousness of the present moment and exists at the level of the flow of the universe. You can consider consciousness of the One, God, Allah, Nature, the Universe, or whatever aligns with your belief system. Our right brain consciousness is the realm of that unconscious dimension that is ever-flowing in the background of our left brain focus on the external world. Character 3 experiences gratitude and joy, feels moved by art and music, and loves to socialize and work with others. While Character 3 has so many wonderful qualities, it can get us into trouble. It's one of the emotional modules of the brain, not thinking. So when facing a choice, it doesn't think about consequences. It just feels excited about something and acts impulsively. Character 4 is the right brain thinking module. It's the part of our consciousness that we share with one another and all of life. It is the door through which the energy of the universe flows and fills up our entire being. It is our connection to a higher power, and it is the part of us that knows we are never truly alone. Peace resides in this character, as long as we quiet the other three characters so that we can access it. Inside this expanded consciousness of our character four, we are perfect, whole, and beautiful and have no physical boundaries and no sense of our own individuality. This part of our consciousness is open, aware, and accepting that everything is exactly as it should be. It does not judge, but simply celebrates with wonder the life that it lives. Character 4 teaches our other characters that we are not only worthy of love, but that we are love. Our Character 4 is also predictable, reasonable, big picture, unbiased perspective of how it all fits together, flows collectively, and either works or doesn't. 
We covered quite a few examples of how these characters interact a couple of weeks ago in the podcast episode, The Little Voices in Our Heads, but the rest of the interview focused on how we can manage addictions, painful emotions, and how different generations use and learn different hemispheres of the brain, and how that may be impacting the world. This last year has been rough on multiple levels between yeah. not just the pandemic and not just the shutdowns, but all the racial injustice and all of the yeah. um, political stuff that happened was just like none of us, I believe, needed it's that. character two, more character yeah, two. You know, we, we've legitimized being our horrible little selves out in the world and, and you know, giving that part of ourselves the microphone. And it has been, you know, we're, it's contagious. I mean, all of these characters, you walk into a room of character ones and you become a pretty good character one, probably, you know. You walk into a meditation group where everybody's being Zen. Well, you're going to shift into Zen better. You walk into a room where everybody's being character twos and, oh my, hey, I got something to say too. Another thing I found interesting in the book is you talk about addiction. Yes. And specifically, one of the things you mentioned, which ties into what we're talking about, is that alcohol consumption is up, I think you said 47% in the last year, especially among women. So how can we use our four characters if we want to make a choice to maybe to return back to or go into a healthier lifestyle? Yes. So the stats are just staggering. 47% of adults are saying they are drinking much more. Uh, 14% of women are saying they have become heavy drinkers. Self-reported. That's amazing. And it's, you know, alcohol is a coping tool. And we've been inside in our fear, in our constriction, many of us depressed and thinking, you know, I'll feel better if I have my friend. And the thing about the alcohol being my friend is it's my friend until it's not my friend. And alcohol is actually a depressant. So using an alcohol to lift my spirits, that's just not reality of what's happening inside the level of the brain. So putting in a depressant on top of feeling already emotionally disconnected makes me want to drink even more. And it becomes this this cycle. So I do talk about addiction and that it really is that little character too, who then begins to crave an addiction. You know, it might be drugs, it might be alcohol, it might be sex, it might be technology, it might be just movement. It's, you know, there's all, we all have that craving of something. And that craving tissue is a part of the emotional character too, part of our brain. And what that means is that if I am going to go through therapy, if I'm going to rehabilitate myself out of some kind of addiction, uh, addictive behavior, my little character too has to be on board. My character one can go in and say, okay, well, I'm going to cut down on the alcohol. I'm just not going to have it in the house. My character three can say, okay, instead of drinking at night, we're going we're gonna to go for a walk around the neighborhood, put on our mask, take the dog, take the kids, do whatever, or go do something other than pick up the, the, the glass. And character four is there to remind us that we are perfect and whole and beautiful just the way that we are, and that that little character two is feeling some pain, and we're designed to feel some pain. And the thing about pain is, as I mentioned before, there's a 90 second loop of cells inside of our brain that if we really allow ourselves to have that pain, watch it come through us and watch it move on, let that craving come and go and make other choices. And the other choices that we have to make are go and clean the closet, you know, (laughs) I mean, isn't that what so many of us did? 
that pandemic gave us the cleanest closets. You know, we threw stuff out, you know, I mean, just we, we found alternatives. And so really it's a matter of finding alternatives and recognizing that, that that craving or that desire, it's simply a group of cells saying, boy, I'd like that. Well, I'd like a lot of things that I don't have, but I don't get fixated on it. But we get fixated when a circuit runs more and more, it begins to run on automatic and it becomes habitual thinking. So now, because I've been drinking more and more and more, I think that I will feel better if I drink more and more, but of course, and now I have to have three or four glasses of wine every evening, which started out as a half a glass or a glass, because now I'm not having the same numbing impact that I had before, because now I'm, I'm raising my level of tolerance. So really coming back to the mindfulness of what am I doing? What's going on inside of my brain? What, what do I want to be going on inside of my brain? And what say do I have in shifting the automatic reactive circuitry already there into something that I purposely choose to create new habits? Again, very powerful. I think this is good timing um, as far as really finding these tools that we can use to better understand ourselves. You mentioned technology and another area of the book that I found really interesting was about the different generations. Part of the reason it caught my attention is we actually, we do workshops and one of them is about effective communication between all of the generations that are working together. So it was very similar in like sort of the facts of the differences between all the different generations, but you really talk about the effects of technology at the level of the brain. And I'm wondering if you could expound on that a little bit. It's so interesting, isn't it? The boomer and the GI, which was the our parents, the boomers' parents who fought in World War II. Where does one begin? I mean, this is like its own podcast, isn't it? But the fact of the matter is, how do we teach the brain? How does the brain learn? And boomers and older learned um, to read, learned mathematics, learned learning skills by using our hands and using a left brain techniques. Typical school. That's how we learned. And so we learned left brain skill sets through left brain tools. So example, when we think about mathematics, what is two plus three? Well, I learned two plus three as a, you know, two plus three, three plus three, four plus three, blah, blah, blah. And they would, it was rote memorization. So that's the way that the left brain learns. It thinks numbers and it thinks, you know, a two plus a three. You don't have to think about what is a two and a three. You just move on automatic. Of course, a two plus three is a five. So the way that starting with Gen X, uh, which is right underneath younger than the, the youngest boomers, these kids grew up with technology. So about the time they're 15, 10 to 15 years old, the internet starts coming on. Computers are coming full force. And they're all about gadgetry. They are, you know, I mean, these little three-year-olds are training the boomers how to run their VCR and program it, right? I remember those days so clearly. So the Gen X become the little gadget people. And so they start thinking with technology in a way that boomers don't. Boomers use it. Gen Xers explore it and they change it. And then below that group, and they become a very efficient group of of human beings because now the boomers all need them to help teach us our technology. But then the boomers have children, and the biggest block of the boomer children are the millennials. And the millennials is the first generation that is actually 
sharing their bed with a little Teddy Ruspin. Do you remember that little, little guy? It was a little automated bear that, that we would put in the crib and it would talk to our babies and it had a little heartbeat kind of thing so that it could self-soothe our little babies because we were boomers, we were busy, right? And so the millennials grow up with their primary first relationship with this automatic electronic device. It becomes integrated into their physiology as a soother. So as that happens then, and these kids now have total access, it, is our, it was our boomer's goal to give all of our children computers so that they could have all this computer learning. And so kids then started playing games in order to learn their left brain skill set. So when they go to learn two plus three, we learn rote memory, two plus three is five. They're looking at two chickens and three cows. How many animals are there? Well, there are five there. So the visual, the way that we learn with language in the left brain, or we learn in visual in the right brain, developed a completely different kind of animal based on how we learned our material. So millennials are primary right brainers because that's how they have learned. So now we're taking a world that is built by boomers and their parents with a very left brain structure. And, you know, boomers are willing to work 60, 80 hours a week. And we're wearing those black circles under our eyes as badges of honor. You know, it's like, honey, look how hard I'm working for you. So we nurtured our children, our millennials, to not do it that way. So now we're looking at this workforce where we have these millennials who think in groups, they think collectively, they're more in the present moment, their allegiance is to themselves and the experience of how it feels to be working for this company, where the left brainers are saying, I need your commitment and I need you to work like a slave and I need you to compete for these awards and I need you to, I need you to, I need you to, I need you to be faithful to the job and to keep this job for 30 years, even though, you know, I'm going to punish you. And the millennials are going, this doesn't feel good to me. So I'm going to go find another job. And there's this miss in these intergenerational. Now, millennials love working with millennials and boomers, they get working with boomers. But the boomers don't know how to motivate the millennials. And the millennials are looking at the boomers going, I've learned from your mistakes. And I don't want to be like you. So you're going to have to be kinder to me. You're going to have to give me jobs that I want to do and that I can be really good at. And I, I want to work with my friends on the project. And I want you to tell me what you want to, but you leave me alone and let me do it myself. And these are two completely different animals at the level of our brain structure. Well, the one thing I find the most interesting about Gen Zers, because they seem so much more focused on things like the planet and climate change, and even at a very young age. And in reading what you wrote, it dawned on me like, oh, I, I didn't realize because maybe of the way the brain is changing for them because of the way they're learning. They're learning partly from that maybe character four, where we're all connected and we're all, it it does matter what each of us does. And that's the first sign. I mean, I find that a very hopeful sign, but it does wreak some havoc in the workplace, but I think it's really hopeful, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it does. Well, and you know, the, the thing about the Gen Z is when they were born, they came into a traumatized world. So they came in around 2000, 2001. 
So they came in with 9-11. Then they had 2008 with the financial crash. So they have learned self-survival. Life is about survival. And survival isn't just about me and mine. Survival is about the us and the we, and we are not well as humanity. I mean, just look at all the consternation and hostility and the conflict, that conflict between the left brain value and the right brain value. So they're coming in completely developed in their right brain, but they're on alarm, alarm, alert, alert, because the world is this dangerous place and they're in it. They're not in control of it because the older generations are in control of it. And they're looking at this world going, oh my gosh, this is a dangerous, dangerous place. And so they have to go into their four to feel safe, but they're also deep in their anxiety. And so are the millennials. They're deep in their anxiety for different reasons, but, uh, but they're deep in anxiety. All I can say is I highly recommend getting the book, The Whole Brain Living. I appreciate your audience because your audience is one that is interested in mindfulness. Yeah, it, it's been a lovely journey so far and uh, you just added to it. So thank you and take care. Thank you so much. I think the generational differences in how we learn and respond to life are quite interesting and encourage everyone to give this aspect of the way the brain works more thought and reflection. Without understanding this, we're like the Tower of Babel. We're not speaking the same language, and the implications are far-reaching, from our educational system to our workplaces to our own multi-generational families. I again thank Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor for joining us and sharing such fascinating information about how our brains work. The more we understand the mechanics of the brain, the more empowered we are to not only practice mindfulness, but to better control our thoughts, behaviors, and emotions, which ultimately leaves us with the opportunity to not only live a life of meaning, but to enjoy the peace and beauty that life affords us. Until next time, stay well, be kind to yourself and others, and please remember to be mindful. If you're looking for a career change and considering coaching, or if you need to increase your leadership skills in mentoring staff, check out our Dynamic Coaching Certification Program. It's all online and self-paced, so even if you're currently working, it's a manageable yet rewarding process to complete. You can find more information on our website. Also, visit our book club page to find a ton of resources for self-development and leadership development, as well as the latest books by authors we interview on this show. Go to www.worktoliveproductions to start improving your life today. Mindfulness increases our emotional, physical, and mental well-being. It can also enhance our focus and productivity. Perhaps most importantly, Mindfulness strengthens our empathy and compassion for others, which I believe we need more of in our world today. So practice mindfulness in everything you do. Spend at least a little time meditating every day. And remember to be kind to yourself and others. We're here to do more than just survive. We can thrive. All it takes to start is a mindful moment. 
please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee wherever you get your favorite podcasts and rate this podcast so that others can find us. Follow us on social media at work to live A Mindful Moment is written by Teresa McKee. The English version is hosted by Teresa McKee, and the Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, MediaWrite Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions.